If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture-wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com 1212 This is a special hour number 3 of the World According to Zig podcast. My name is John Ziegler. I am the host This is the program where we talk about the news of the week, the events of my often bizarre life and where we provide you with a few hours of an oasis of honesty and rationality in the desert of insanity and deceit which is the American media cultural and political landscape. Normally we only do uh, two uh, hours, but uh, this week we're going to do uh, three uh, for reasons that will be obvious in just a moment. Uh, I have been um, for the last five plus years way 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 too embroiled in the so-called Penn State scandal which most people don't even care about anymore they think it's a long old dead story uh, it's not but that's what the perception is and um there have been some major developments this week that I wanted to discuss and I was hoping to do an interview with the sister of a major figure in this case and our number one of this podcast um I implied that uh, I wasn't 100% sure that, that was going to happen even though that was scheduled and for good reason but let me just start from the beginning and tell you the story and I think it'll all become very very clear as to what's really going on here uh, this week the adopted son of Jerry Sandusky who obviously was the heart of the whole so-called Penn State scandal he's in prison for numerous counts of child sexual abuse uh his adopted son Jeffrey was arrested and uh charged with what was described as uh sex abuse of children and that was the headline that went everywhere i mean everywhere i mean it was all over the place every major news outlet every all over twitter it was trending on twitter Jerry Sandusky's name was t- trending on twitter most of the day on monday even though his He had absolutely nothing to do with the story. In fact, he was in a maximum security prison when all of this allegedly happened. But the obvious implication here was, "Aha! Oh my gosh! Ah, oh, just like you know, like father, like son. You know, the the adopted son is abusing little kids just like the dad did. Wow, what a house of horrors! This further proves just how horrendous this whole thing is, and." Uh, there's obviously implications that Jerry must have abused Jeff because that's how this abuse happens, and it gets uh, passed down, and one abuse leads to a next, and blah 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 blah. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. I know this is complete. At, the, at the worst, this is completely irrelevant 
to anything having to do with Penn State and Jerry Sandusky, even though the news media wants to believe that it's relevant because any negative story involving the Sandusky name is automatic, you know, viral gold. I mean, people hate the Sandusky's. They, they want to have more information to substantiate their hatred of Sandusky or even now Joe Paterno or Penn State because of what they think, wrongly, uh, happened in that entire story. And the obvious, I mean, it wasn't even subconscious the obvious implications and all and the way the headlines were all designed was to make you think that this was exactly like jerry and it was nothing remotely like jerry and i'm not defending jeff i i know jeff a little bit i've interviewed i'm the only one that's ever interviewed him on camera you can find that at youtube uh he's not a bright guy uh, he might have some intellectual issues uh, and i'm not a doctor i don't know that but he's not not a smart guy by any stretch of the imagination uh, he's been very loyal to Jerry and to his adopted mother, Dottie, which is more than you can say for his other uh, adopted sibling, Matt Sandusky, who became very famous and very rich uh, because of his accusations against Jerry that occurred very, very, very late after he had been a major supporter of Jerry Sandusky through a lot of the crap storm and under highly, highly, highly suspicious circumstances, which I'll get to momentarily. Um but anyway, I don't have a lot of regard for Jeff. Jeff has actually screwed me over a couple times uh, in situations that in, uh, were involved in this case, not because he's, a, uh, from what I can know, a scumbag, just because he, he really disappointed me, didn't, didn't do the things he told me he was going to do, didn't, for instance, did nothing. He attended an event where I got arrested, uh, where Matt Sandusky was speaking in Pennsylvania last summer and did nothing, didn't call, didn't reach out, didn't speak up at the time, didn't end up coming to my hearing, did not. I mean, here's his former adopted brother who he knows is lying about his father. And uh, here I am getting arrested simply because I'm sitting in my seat with a ticket in my name doing nothing. But Matt is afraid to speak because he knows I know the truth. And he's afraid I might ask him a question or something because he he's a complete fraud. Anyway, long story is I don't I don't like Jeff. Um, but the story was not what it was portrayed to be. Here, here's here's the basically what we think we know at this point. I don't pretend to know all the details. And again, I'm not defending Jeff Sandusky. I have no dog in that hunt. It's completely and totally irrelevant to anything involving Sandusky and the, the, the Penn State case, the Joe Paterno angle, and my website, framingpaterno.com. But for the record, he's accused of sending really, really, really inappropriate texts to the late teenage daughter's of his girlfriend. That's the accusation. So this is not, I'm sure everyone looked at the headlines and said, oh my God, he's diddling little boys just like Jerry. No, 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 no. There's not one allegation of an actual sex act, an attempted sex act. It's text messages, which I haven't seen and have not been produced publicly. And, you know, who the hell knows? These text messages could be misinterpreted. They could be planted. I mean, all you got to do is take someone's phone and, and text message somebody in this day and age and, and Shazam, uh, you know, you, you got them potentially. And there's no question that these two daughters and their dad had a huge incentive, huge, if you think about it, folks. You, you, got, you got your ex-wife and the mother of your children, and if you're the, the two daughters, you got your mom dating a Sandusky for the last six years. During this shitstorm, that's not something that's pleasant in your life. All right, that's not that's not helping anything. You, that's something you would like to be relieved of, and so they have a huge incentive to either take something Jeff did that was 
at best, stupid and inappropriate. Who knows? Maybe it was criminal. I don't know. And exaggerated authorities are very, very willing and very open to making any sort of a charge against the Sandusky because, wow, you know, that's the easiest case of all time. There's not a jury in Pennsylvania that's going to give a fair trial to anybody with the last name Sandusky and the allegations are sex abuse. Hell, I... Even in my situation, I'm I have nothing. To, I'm not a member of the Sandusky family, and, and, and there was nothing having to do with Jerry Sandusky in my situation. I knew I could not fight the charges, the bo- completely bogus bullshit charges against me, nearly as hard as I would have normally, because I knew if it ever went to a jury trial, I'd be fucked, because it would be portrayed as me being a Jerry Sandusky supporter, and then I'm done. And the authorities know this. They know the deck is stacked in their favor. So there's no fear of overcharging or, or doing a situation where, for instance, uh, you know, we, we maybe go with a case that's not very strong at all because it's going to stick. My guess is Jeff will end up having to plea bargain. And so I wrote a column, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, where, um, you know, I, I go into some of these details, and, I, and the main point I make is that this is irrelevant. The media is trying to make this connected to the Penn State Sandusky case. It's not. It's completely irrelevant. These things happened allegedly in 2016. There's an allegation back in 2013, which smells to me like a classic situation where the one sister made something up in retrospect four years ago in order to help her and her dad get rid of Jeff Sandusky. But I don't know that for a fact. That's just that's based upon human nature and my reading of the, the criminal complaint and everything else. So I don't know what, what the truth of the situation is. Jeff's probably going to go to jail for, for some of this. It's irrelevant. And, in fact, the only relevancy to it, ironically, is where the fuck is this kind of evidence against Jerry? Where are the text messages against Jerry? Where's the pornography against Jerry? Where's the cell phone video? Where's the cell phone photograph? Where's the surveillance phone call? Where's any electronic evidence at all, anywhere, against Jerry Sandusky? It does not exist. And I know it's insane to people who have not filed the case. But this is a classic situation where no one did the math. Everyone accepted the original math equation as true, and then everything extrapolated domino effect from there. But we never checked the original math on the story. And the original math on the story is it doesn't fucking add up because it's not real. It doesn't make any damn sense. And Jerry Sandusky, as insane as it sounds, is innocent, and I'm positive of it. And I know it from a 100 different angles. I know more about the case than he does. So if you're interested in my response, because I know a lot of people asked about it, what do you think of Jeff Sandusky being arrested? Well, I wrote about it at freespeechbroadcasting.com. You can find that column. And you can also find an interview I did with a Boston radio station, which was really hilarious. I did an interview with a Boston radio station about this because they're completely convinced that Sandusky, of course, is guilty as hell and that Jeff Sandusky, you know, this is all part of a big family child abuse rocket of some sort. And, uh, and, and it's always fascinating to me when I do these interviews because there's never any substance, there's never any logic, there's never any facts. It's all emotion. And the most interesting part of the interview is I make an analogy. And these guys, remember, they're from Boston, and they're sports talk show hosts. Now, sports talk show hosts are the dumbest people on the planet, at least in media. 
And, uh, you know, so facts are not their forte. Logic is not their forte. Um, and, and so I, I made an analogy that I figured was going to blow their minds. And, boy, I, I probably underestimated how much it was going to blow their minds. And the analogy I did was this. Okay, you guys seem to think that there's a connection between Jeff Sandusky way after Jerry's in prison being arrested on charge of nothing to do with what he was accused of, but kind of sort of sound the same. Let me lay this on you. So you're telling me that if Tom Brady adopts a son and that sometime in the future he texts his baseball coach asking about scuffing up baseballs for a game he's going to pitch in Little League, the analogy there being, of course, that it's kind of like the Flake Gate, but not really, that somehow this would prove that the Flake Gate was real? Oh, my God. Listen to their brains explode live on the air. One of them starts screaming at me that I'm the horrible person, that I need to be investigated. How, do I, how am I allowed to live? I, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, he, he, he goes to 11 on this. I mean, it, it, was, it was insane. These go to 11. No, they, they, they went to 11 immediately on this. I mean, it, it was insane. Boy, that escalated quickly. No, it was. It, it, so check that out at freespeechbroadcasting.com if you're interested uh, in that interview. And, of course, that reaction is important because for, for an injustice of this proportion to happen, it can only occur in an environment when, where people lost their fucking minds. And so that's the proof that that environment existed in this story in spades, in spades. Now, in reaction to that, a lot of the reason why the Jeff Sandusky story got so much publicity is because Jerry has another adopted son named Matt. I've already referenced the guy who I got arrested <laughs> just sitting in a seat waiting for him to speak with a ticket in my own name in Pennsylvania last summer. You can check the video out at framingpaterno.com. It's unbelievable. If I, if I was a celebrity or if the media wasn't in the tank on this story, this would have been a, a major national news story. Uh, the reality is that without Matt, I don't think the Jeff story gets nearly as much publicity because Jeff claims to be an accuser. I'm, I'm sorry, Matt claims to be an accuser. Jeff is never going to claim to be an accuser, by the way. He has the name... He has the word Sandusky forever tattooed on his arm because his brother Matt changed his name after the scandal hit away from Sandusky and then changed it back once he realized the media didn't give a shit about him when his name was Matt Davidson. So he has this horrible the stain of Sandusky that he can't bear, but he uses it all the time because that's how he gets booked for speaking engagements, writes a book, um, and gets on television from uh, on occasion. Well, Jeff, in response to that, Got a tattoo on his arm, Sandusky forever. So Jeff was never abused by Jerry. No one was. Jeff's never going to say he was, even though it's very much in his self-interest to do so now because it's about the best way he could save his hide from these current charges. But the reason why the Jeff story got so much publicity, I think, is because of Matt's allegation, which is bullshit. Right? Matt's allegation is bullshit so obviously for a million different reasons. Uh, he, he asked Jerry and Dottie to adopt him after, way after, at the age of 18, way after he says he was abused. Uh, he fought in court against his ex-wife after Jerry was arrested. 
in order for his kids to be able to see Jerry at home. I mean, this is as a 30-something adult after the shit has hit the fan, after Jerry's reputation has been destroyed, after Joe Paterno has been fired. There, there's no way you go into court against your ex-wife to fight to have your kids see your molester. Not to mention the fact that Matt only testified one time in the whole case. It was in a grand jury, and he testified on behalf of Jerry Sandusky, saying Jerry never abused him, Jerry's the greatest thing ever happened to him, and don't believe these accusers. Matt was a big supporter of Jerry up until the trial happened, and what happened was Matt went into the courtroom, sat with Jerry's wife, Dottie Sandusky, in the family section of the court, and saw that the Salem witch trial had just started, realized that his money ticket was going out the window, and he bailed in his last effort to try to find a lifeboat. Which So he goes to the – by the way, he, he, he's such a dirtbag. I, I strongly believe – that he had Dottie babysit his kids, his adopted mom, wife of Jerry. He had Dottie babysit his kids so he could go to the police to claim to be an accuser in this case. Because he figured, okay, if I wait until after Jerry's convicted, I'm screwed. He ends up getting millions of dollars from Penn State lying blatantly. I mean, and here's the proof that he's lying. He, he told Penn State things that are absurd about being witnessed by Penn State coaches, by the way, one of whom wasn't even at Penn State at the time he claims this happened, but he doesn't put that in his book. Why didn't he put it in his book? Because it didn't happen, and he didn't think anyone was ever going to find out what was in his deposition. But they released the depositions because of a controversy that occurred last week, last year. Of course, the media never puts all this together because they're a bunch of fucking morons who think they know the case, and they don't. Well, anyway, this week, the biological sister of Matt Sandusky contacted me on Twitter. Now, I've spoken to all his adopted siblings, all of whom are cowards, all of whom know Matt's lying. A couple of whom have said Matt came to them to ask them to help him lie, but they, they don't say this publicly because they're afraid of him because he is a sociopath and he is capable of anything, like, for instance, getting me arrested because I'm sitting in my seat with a ticket in my own name just watching him speak. So they're afraid of him. And I've had other people be afraid of him. The woman that he tried to commit suicide with because he was in a, a, a Romeo and Juliet romance with as a teenager was going to do an interview with me. She bailed because she got afraid of Matt. Even though she knows he's lying, she knows Jerry is innocent, uh, but she's afraid of Matt. By the way, Matt is now claiming, has been claiming that suicide attempt was because Jerry had abused him. That's complete ridiculousness. It's totally absurd. No. It was because he was in a... He never mentions the girl. He never mentions the girl because he's banking on the fact that she won't have the guts to come forward and say, wait a minute, I was part of this. I, I've spoken to the employer of Matt Sandusky who employed him and his brother. His brother, by the way, is currently in prison for murder. The employer who employed both these guys for years said Matt was way worse than the brother who's in prison for murder as a human being. I mean, this is a horrible, horrible person. His therapist told Dottie and Jerry he has no conscience. This is how Jerry Sandusky got involved in this whole thing. He brought in the dregs of humanity, all right? Matt was, Matt was from the white, trashiest possible family you could possibly imagine, worst living conditions you could ever even conceive of. And Jerry saves him from that, but he had suffered abuse from his own dad by his own word. I don't know if it was sexual or not, but it was horrendous. And so... These are people who are fucked up in the head. All of them. They're fucked up. So 
Matt sees nothing wrong with taking advantage of the situation once the worm turns here. So I spoke with this. So none of the adopted children will speak to me uh, on the record about Matt. But his biological sister, girl, a woman by the name of Stephanie, maiden name Heichel. That was Matt's original name, Heichel. Stephanie is amazing on the phone. Absolutely tremendous. I spoke to her, I don't know, probably for 45 minutes. And she was there with Matt and Jerry during the key years of the alleged abuse. By the way, she was there during the suicide attempt. She was in the hospital with him. Uh, she's obviously his biological sister. She's, you know, she's come out of, you know, hasn't been in touch with him in recent years, but the recent years are irrelevant because it's the years between eight and 15 that are, are the key years in this story when Matt claims to have been abused by Jerry. She said she read his book. Couldn't stop. She couldn't even finish it halfway through. This is all bullshit. It's all lies. I can't believe I'm, I'm having to even deal with this. So she couldn't even continue to read the book. Bizarrely, she was there the day that I got arrested. She didn't enter the, I didn't know this. She showed up because she lives in that area in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. And she was going to go in because she wanted to ask Matt some questions. Which if I had known, I wouldn't even have bothered to show up and cause all commotion. Well, she says to me, you know, I didn't go in because of all the commotion your situation was creating. Because there were all these police there and all this chaos and She's like, I, w- I went home. And so, so she's just tremendous. She knows Matt is lying. She believes Jerry is innocent. She's got all the goods. She was there. She knows what a dirtbag he is. Interestingly, <laughs> while they fell out of touch as an adult, Matt did contact her a few years ago via Facebook and propositioned her. Very dramatically, very blatantly, very, like, sexually. She believes he didn't realize, because her name had changed, that this was his biological sister. He never responded after she said, hey, you do know this is your biological sister, Stephanie, right? The bottom line is this guy is the scum of the earth. So I said, Stephanie, will you come on the podcast with me? And she said, sure, yeah, no problem. Sunday we'll do it. Now, I have gone through this dozens of times in this five-year quest. So I've, I now know the pattern, all right? I've spent ridiculous amounts of time chasing white trash in this story. I have a PhD in white trash. Now, maybe this isn't all white trash. Maybe this is just human nature. But the pattern is this. I speak to people. They're all full of piss and vinegar. They give me the full story. But I can't, it's illegal for me to record it, first of all, without them knowing it. And I'm not going to put them on the record unless and until I know they're credible. So I need to, I do need to do the full interview first. And so I'll always say, okay, can we schedule an interview? No problem. Everyone schedules an interview. And then either the next day or two days later, something happens. They either start to get cold feet or they bottom line, bail out on it. And I was fully expecting the same thing to happen here. Now, the first day, it didn't happen. In fact, she was working on getting the Facebook posting. She sent me a family picture as verification. I'm like, okay, maybe she's going to hold together. Yesterday, all of a sudden, I get a text 
I can't do this. My husband is afraid of what Matt might do. It's always, by the way, a family member. The sibling, you know, either usually it's spouses, sometimes siblings, but some family member will convince them, you know what, this isn't worth it. You don't want to get involved in this because it's just too dangerous. It's just too toxic. And I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. This is, you know, I've been through this so many times before. Okay, fine. Whatever. And I texted her cut back a couple of times saying, look, you know, that's, that's up to you. Um, you know, but the reality is you're going to let Matt win. Then she texts me back saying, I'll actually get the actual text. Um, she actually all of a sudden texts back and says, uh, I will go on the record as long as you only use my first name. He does not deserve to get away with any of this. 3 p.m. tomorrow, 3 p.m. Eastern. Okay. So that was when we were scheduled to talk to her. So I, uh, I called her last night just to hold her, take her temperature, hold her hand, say, okay, you know, look, because I'm shocked that usually when people decide that they're caving, they never go back. I mean, I've, I've been through this enough to know. Once you see any sign of caving, it's over. Almost no one ever gets their balls back once they lose them. And so I was a little skeptical as to whether or not this was going to happen. So I called, and she didn't answer. And I left a message saying, hey, I don't want you to do this unless you think it's the right thing to do. Call me if you need to, blah, blah, blah. Never hear anything back, so I'm figuring everything's okay. Um, you know, in fact, she even then references uh, in a later text, yeah, I'm fine with doing the interview. We're just worried about backlash. So if you could just stick to my first name, that would be great. We tried to get... The- uh, the Facebook message, but due to inactivity and deletion of account, it would not let us locate the Facebook account. I did, however, email the Facebook people, whoever they may be, because there has to be a way. Uh, I then say, thank you, Stephanie. This is all last night. You are most welcome, and I do apologize for before. So I'm thinking, okay, we're good to go. And as I said in the um, first hour of this podcast, I said, we're scheduled because I never believe this until it's actually going to happen, having been through this before. So I texted Stephanie that we're running a couple minutes behind, and I got no answer for that 3 p.m. And I'm like, uh-oh, that's not good. So then we got done with the Larry Wilmore interview in hour number two, and I called her, and I immediately get a message that I've never even heard before. It sounds like somebody is like blocking their phone calls. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Uh, I'm, this isn't going to happen. So I send her several texts. Look, could you just let us know what's going on? Because you're putting us in a really bad spot here because, you know, we're waiting around. If you're not going to do this, fine. If you're going to wimp out, fine. At least let us know. No response. Then I go on Twitter, and uh, she's no longer following my, me on Twitter, and she may have even blocked me on Twitter. So... The reality, here's the reality. She told her husband, I'm going to do this. And the husband said, no fucking way. You're not going to do this. That's what, that's what's going to happen. That's, that's what happened. <laughs> and the husband, husband made sure that she wasn't going to do it. Um, and it's a real damn shame because she had a lot of really inter- interesting and important things to say because Matt is really, in a lot of ways, the key to understanding this whole case. See, Matt's the easiest person to prove that he's lying. And he's the low-hanging fruit. And once you prove that he's lying, that the media fell for him. And by the way, Matt has starred in a major documentary film, Happy Valley. 
Uh, he's done major television. He did an interview with Oprah. Check out the interview that, or the video that I did on Matt Sandusky's Oprah interview. Just go to YouTube, Google John Ziegler, Matt Sandusky, Oprah. It is fucking hilarious. He gives the worst answer to Oprah Winfrey on the question of how do we know we're, that you're telling the truth that has ever been given in the history of television, but the media just ignored it because, well, that's one of those things we better involved, really. We don't want to get into that because if Matt Sandusky is lying, then that might, you know, that might cause us to actually look at this whole thing a little bit more carefully. So it's not in our interest to do so. We're not going to do so. It's just, it's just too messy. So unfortunately, um, we're not going to talk to Stephanie. I am 100% positive Stephanie's telling the truth, and I'm just about as positive that she wanted to do the interview, that, but her husband has uh, killed it. So this has happened now all around Matt. This is how bad people win, folks. I, I've had The adopted kids are afraid of him. His em- former employer is afraid of him. The woman who tried to commit suicide with him is afraid of him. His biological sister is afraid of him. And he wins. He's sitting uh, you know, in a beautiful house. Um, on millions of dollars, he's a lying sack of shit, and everywhere he, he gets awards. He gets awards, major awards, this guy, Matt Sandusky, does. And I get arrested and brutalized, beaten up by police. No exaggeration. Cost me thousands of dollars to get out of because I'm sitting there waiting for him to speak. He's afraid to go on. He delays the event a half hour because... John Ziegler is sitting in the audience, and he can't bear to do that because he's a fraud. It's a, he's an obvious total fraud. Now, speaking of frauds, and since I'm doing this extra hour, I might as well mention it. There was another fraud in this story this week. On Valentine's Day, a Columbus television station, the NBC affiliate in Columbus, suddenly does a story. Local Jerry Sandusky accuser is getting on with life. You know, an incredible fluff piece about how this guy named Jesse Keith has endured the abuse of Jerry Sandusky, and he's a local guy. And by the way, he has this great business that you should check out that he's starting. And, um, you know, and I'm I'm like, what the hell is this? Because, of course, anything dealing with Sandusky, people send it to me. And so I look at the story online, and I'm like, okay. First of all, I know Jerry's innocent, so this is bullshit from the beginning. But second of all, to be important, this is an important point to point out. I look at everything with an open mind. Trust me, nothing would make me happier, actually, if I could finally be convinced that Sandusky is guilty and I could get this out of my fucking life. I would be thrilled. Thrilled. Believe me, I want Jerry to be guilty. Please get this off my fucking back. All right? So so I, I am actually, it's not like I don't look at, things that people send me. I'm hopeful. Oh, good. Maybe this guy's actually credible. So I watched the interview. There's not even a mention of Jerry in the whole story. It's like a three-minute interview. There's no mention of how he met Jerry, what Jerry did to him. Jerry's not even discussed in any way, shape, or form. It's all about overcoming adversity and how he's gone on with his life, and he's starting this business, and, you know, uh, how wonderful this is that he's been able to persevere. And there's two things also that are striking me as I'm watching it. That the, the reporter is portraying that he was a trial accuser. By the way, doing so poorly because there were only eight trial accusers. The media often misreports that it's 10. 
two of the accusers didn't testify because they didn't actually happen. And so there were, there were eight trial accusers. He was not one of the trial accusers because they're all public knowledge, even though the media doesn't report their names. I know all the names. He also happens to be black. And there was no black accuser at the trial. There, so his, the name Jesse Keith was not at the trial. So I'm thinking, at the very least, the TV station has to, has to correct He's not a trial accuser, which is what they're implying. It's, it's, it couldn't be more clear. It's like Trump saying that his electoral college victory was the biggest since Ronald Reagan. No, it's not close. Okay, we know this. It's a matter of historical record. So, But I'm also thinking maybe they, the reporter is just an idiot, as most reporters are, and doesn't realize that there's other accusers who weren't part of the trial, but they got millions of dollars from Penn State because they were settlement accusers. and. So I check with my board, Penn State Board of Trustees connection. I say, can you check this name, Jesse Keith? Is there anybody in the records even getting a claim or even making a claim against Penn State in the settlement process? Nope. No Jesse Keith. I'm like, okay, this is, this is a total hoax. Well, then things get really curious because obviously because everyone – in my orbit knows that I'm involved in this case and there's thousands of Penn State people that still follow it, I get an email from a lawyer who follows my work who says, you know, I looked into this Jesse Keith and his real name, according to his Facebook page, is Ed Manigo Jr. Interestingly, I found this article about Ed Manigo Sr. And Ed Manigo Sr., there was an article in Ebony Magazine about how he was a janitor at Penn State who got convicted of rape and tried to claim that it was a vendetta because he had reported Jerry, seeing Jerry Sandusky with a kid as a janitor at Penn State, which I knew was obviously bullshit and sounds, you know, this has happened numerous, this has happened numerous times in this case where people have, have gotten in trouble and said, and tried to blame it on Jerry Sandusky because Jerry Sandusky now, it's like, a, it's a golden ticket out of any trouble. So I'm like, I read the Ebony article, I'm like, okay, this sounds like bullshit, but more importantly, it's bullshit that Jesse Keith would have mentioned to the Columbus TV station if his story was real, because if your dad was involved in the case, that would be an incredibly important part of your narrative, right? How do you not mention that to the TV station? Oh, by the way, not only was I abused by Jerry Sandusky, but my dad got convicted of rape because he reported Jerry Sandusky seeing a kid late at night. By the way, no allegation of any abuse or anything, just seeing a kid, uh, seeing Jerry with a, with a kid uh, in the facilities late at night, which I don't even believe happened. So I'm like, okay, this is obvious. Here's what really happened. So this, this guy, Jesse Keith, is aware of the story because of his dad's fictitious tangential relationship to it, realizes that, um, you know, you can excuse any kind of behavior you want or, or use this to your benefit in any way you want, and has a business to promote. So he somehow gets a fellow African-American, the, the reporter happened to be black, which I think is relevant here, because I think a black reporter doing a story on a black alleged Jerry Sandusky accuser is going to do even less vetting than normal. There was no vetting here. And effectively, this NBC station does a commercial for a fake Sandusky accuser. So I contact the reporter, try to contact the reporter, leave a Facebook message and a phone message. No response. I do the same thing with the news director. 
I get an email response. Thank you for, your, you know, because I'm sending him all the links, all the proof, everything. This is a fraud. Thank you for your information. I'll take a look at this. I'll call you back. I never hear from him again. I leave several phone messages. Never hear from him again. As further proof, the dad, because now I'm on Facebook giving Jesse Keith the business, like, you're a fraud, dude. You know, why, why, why are you doing this? Jesse Keith's dad, the guy who was the janitor, contacts me and says, why don't you call me? I said, I'll be happy to call you. What's your phone number? He gives me the phone number. I call him. He's a whack job. All right. You know, I've, li- I've talked to a lot of whack jobs, not in this story, not just in this story, but throughout my whole life. So I have, I have a PhD in white trash and I have a, and maybe not a PhD, but I have a master's in whack job. Okay. So, and so <laughs> this guy is nuts, but he's nuts in a weird way that actually is making a little bit of sense. Those are the toughest nuts to deal with, right? The nuts that like every fifth thing they said actually makes some sense is actually kind of like Trump. Trump's that way. Like every fifth thing he says kind of makes sense. And so you're wondering, okay, is it possible that one of these four or five, you know, four out of other five things that sounds crazy could be true? Long story short, by the end of the conversation, I get the dad to say to me, and I've asked him every which way to make sure that there's no equivocation, no confusion. So you're telling me your son never said to you that he was sexually abused by Jerry Sandusky. He goes, that's right. I said, what, what, then what's this story all about? I never said sexual abuse. I said, what do you, that's what the story is. It's a story of sexual abuse. I never said sexual abuse. He never said sexual abuse. Did he see sexual abuse? Did you see him say sexual abuse on TV? And interestingly, no, I never did see him say on the television anything about sexual abuse. So I create a Facebook message where I basically very succinctly in, in my response to the, the dad, I say, now that you've told me that your son has never said there was sexual abuse, I'm really looking forward to you know, more information on this, whatever. And he, he responds, okay. So I take the screenshot of that Facebook interchange with the dad and I send it to the news director of the NBC affiliate of Columbus. Now you would think at this point, I've got the dad with this very suspicious connection to the case that's very consistent with this whole story being a fraud saying that his own son has never said he was sexually abused by Jerry Sandusky. You would think that that would be the moment when the news director goes, oh my gosh, we're so sorry we did this. You know, we're going we're gonna to print a retraction or publish a, you know, or air a retraction. No. In fact, I get no response. No response at all because they don't care. They, they don't, they, if, they're, if there's not a major media, and I mean, I'm a mediaite columnist, but I guess that's not enough for them to be afraid. They just figure, you know what? Let's just let this go. We might have, we might, you know, we might have getting been conned by a fraud and a hoax, but it doesn't matter because if no one knows, no harm, no foul. So that's all that matters. And that's that, by the way, is the way journalism works this day in this day and age. That's why fake news is so prevalent. There's no time to vet. There's no interest in vetting. It's all about a good narrative. You got a good story. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. And this, I, I couldn't have proven this any more definitively, and I got nowhere. I mean, the frustration level from my God, you know, Stephanie bailing on us in the way that she did, 
at the, the Columbus news station just basically saying, go fuck yourself, or as Larry Wilmore might say. You can go fuck yourself, all right? That's, yeah. that's, that's basically, basically what, what the Columbus, without even saying it. That, that's the worst part. No one even, even said it to me. I never get a response because no one has the balls to say it. You can go fuck yourself, all right? That's, yeah. that's, effectively, that's, that's what they're saying. And then just as the, the cherry on the top of this insanity Sunday, as I've referenced before numerous times publicly, in some fairly, you know, large venues, not huge, but large enough to where it would get noticed in any other story. There is a fake accuser in this case, purposely fake accuser, purposely fake. Several years ago, a guy came to me saying he wanted to be a fake accuser. And he has gone to the most prominent attorney in the whole case, a guy who represented nine accusers in this case. And he got embraced, he got manipulated, he got his story changed, he got told what his story was, he got sent to a therapist at Penn State's expense for dozens and dozens of times, and he recorded the whole fucking thing. Hours and hours of recordings. He sent me a clip from an old recording that was amazing. That in any other, he sent it to me yesterday than in any other story, would blow the whole case wide fucking open. That makes it obvious <laughs> that this attorney uh, is so invested in a false narrative that uh, he can't see straight. He, 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 he admits that none of his clients wanted anything to do with the case at first. He admits that none of them came to him. He admits that none of them went to the police, that the police found them convinced them after originally not wanting any part of the case to eventually cooperate in this case. And then they fed these accusers to him. He then also talks, and this is amazing. He goes into great detail. Again, he doesn't realize he's being recorded. He goes into great detail about how he would fight with the prosecution in the Sandusky case, because get this, the prosecution didn't like the fact that none of the accusers could keep a story straight. And that all of them kept adding things to the story that they didn't have in their first version of the story. And that he kept telling his accusers, no, 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 you tell everything. Because, of course, that's where the real money is. If you, if you only say that Jerry put his hand on your knee while driving, which is something that he, he did for whatever bizarre reason. That's, about, that's the only thing. It's the only thing I'm positive is true. Because almost every single person says that. That while driving, Jerry would occasionally put his hand on the kid's knee. That was it. That's that's the that is the level of abuse that I believe occurred in the entire Penn State scandal. Because after that, nothing makes any fucking sense. Nothing's consistent. And here, this lawyer is—he's <laughs> upset with the prosecution because they're upset that none of these accusers can keep a story straight. None of the story, none of them told the story in the first version or their first testimony or their first interview. And then the. Then the coup de grace is he tells my fake accuser, and this goes on for like 18 minutes. My fake accuser, you know, I knew Jerry was guilty. And you know how I knew Jerry was guilty? And my fake accuser's like, no, no. How, how, how'd you know Jerry was guilty? Because nobody, no adult spends that much time with kids. He just spent, he spent too much time with kids. And therefore, there's no other explanation. So, so, all, so all of these accusers 
must be telling the truth, even though they've all been paid millions of dollars. There's no no motivation for them to lie at all. There's no motivation for, for the authorities that think that they're on the track of a Loch Ness monster to go capture the Loch Ness monster. See, that's what happened in this story, folks. This is the Loch Ness monster story. Nobody thought there was a Loch Ness monster until people started saying there was a Loch Ness monster. And then once people started saying that there was, the authorities became invested in capturing the Loch Ness Monster. And then once there became a financial incentive for you to have been abused by the Loch Ness Monster, look the fuck out. Look out. That's where everything changes. That's where the floodgates open. And now you have everybody, the authorities, the media, the accusers, Penn State itself invested in a bullshit narrative. And that's people don't understand that part about this case. Penn State's invested because as a liberal academic institution, state run, it's not their money. <laughs> they don't care. It's state it's taxpayer money. So go spend it. They're spending it to get the media off their back. They're spending it to self-flagellate. The people that are making these decisions either don't know what the fuck really happened or they have an incentive to make up a false narrative because they're the ones that panicked when it first began and fired a legend Joe Paterno, which is a nuclear explosion over the whole damn case. And I, it's the whole big lie theory. This is Loch Ness Monster. It's the big lie theory. It's Duke lacrosse. It's Virginia rape. It's hands up, don't shoot, all wrapped up in one. And I, there's very little I can do about it at this point. Although I am scheduled to go to Dallas to do the Glenn Beck show, both radio and television, and maybe do a Facebook Live interview with Glenn about all of this uh, in March. So I'm looking forward to that. That'll be – Glenn uh, kept his promise, which I'm impressed by, because the last time I did his show, I referenced – because I was doing a story about a fake Santa Claus, you may recall, <laughs> a Santa Claus that pretended that he had – uh, created a five-year-old dying child in his arms, even though there was no evidence of it whatsoever. And, and eventually the, the newspaper had to basically retract the story. I said, look, this is very similar to the Penn State case. And he's like, what? And long story short, he says, well, next year we should get you on and talk about this because this sounds like a real injustice. And several of his co-hosts are already convinced of that because I've been on their show before. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I don't know what impact it can have, but th th there's a – this is, goes way beyond Jerry Sandusky or Joe Paterno, who's now deceased. There are three Penn State administrators who are facing trial, which is part of the reason why I'm, the timing of the Glenn Beck interview was created, scheduled for March 20th. They're going on trial on bullshit charges of conspiracy and endangering a child that are related to this, and they're in big trouble because two reasons. The jury pool and the media are dead set against them 100%, and they can't even use the most definitive evidence of their innocence, which is that there was no abuse. So I'm looking forward to the Glenn Beck appearance. Uh, John Ziegler, I, I think he's fantastic. What a, what a interesting mind he has. Yeah, well, I'm sure <laughs> see what Glenn's reaction is once he hears this whole story. So if you're interested in any more of this, um, feel free to go to framingpaterno.com, which is my website. There's literally hundreds of hours of content there. It's the most amazing story the media will never tell you. 
because they're completely invested like a five-year-old is in Santa Claus in total mythology. I know I'm right, and this week's events further proved it, even though Stephanie, Matt Sandusky's uh, biological sister, also once again proved that it will never be fixed because people are too cowardly. This story required people to be courageous, to be able to stand up against their own self-interest, against an oncoming, out-of-control freight train. And no one was willing to do that because we're all gutless. We're all afraid. We only care about our own self-interest. We don't care about justice anymore. This was one of those situations where a perfect storm was created and our institutions failed us. Justice will not prevail here. And my life will never be the same because of it. I will suffer because of this case for the rest of my life. It's the best work I've ever done and the dumbest thing I've ever done, which pretty much (laughs) encapsulates my whole life right there. All right, that's uh, do it for this special hour number three of the World According to Zig podcast. Make sure you check out hours number one and two. Uh, Number two has Larry Wilmore, which is a, a great interview we did with him. And, of course, all the Trump news in our number one on this, the podcast for February 19th. Make sure you check it out, uh, our website, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Please share this podcast on social media and do yourself a favor and check out uh, this message if you sleep. And if you sleep, you use sheets. You'll want to hear what happens next. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.